Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Jason Vines, author of What Did Jesus Drive? And you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the November 21st edition of Speedway Digest, Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsports program on the internet. This is episode 175 of the series. I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, Michael Mullally and myself will be recapping the past week of racing, previewing upcoming action, and discussing whatever other types of motorsports pop into conversation. Recently, we partnered with Baldorf Publishing to bring some insight into their authors and some of the books they're working on. With that in mind, we'll be highlighting a variety of authors over the next several weeks. For more information on the series, check out the Storytime for Grown-Ups Author Spotlight, currently available on Forborplum's Fantastic Finds. That's Forborplum's Fantastic Finds, all one word, .wordpress.com. Our first guest tonight is Sean Jocelyn. Sean has been in law enforcement since 2000 and is currently assigned to the Detention Division of the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office in Colorado. He is sergeant in the detention center's booking slash intake unit and the former team leader of the regional special weapons and tactics SWAT team. Sean has been involved in four critical incidents during his career and has received awards for his professionalism under extreme stress. Sean's experience at the sheriff's department began in the detention division where he spent two years in operations before transferring to patrol. After nine years on patrol, Sean transferred to the training department as the academy coordinator. After two and a half years in the training unit and coordinating five academies, Sean was promoted to the rank of sergeant and transferred back to patrol. Sean was a member of the regional SWAT team from 2004 until 2018 and held many positions ranging from observer slash marksman to entry team. In 2012, he was appointed to the team leader position where he supervised 19 operators, three SWAT canines, and one SWAT medic. Sean coordinated and instructed the majority of SWAT team's training, including but not limited to hostage rescue, barricade resolution, vehicle assaults, dynamic entries, and methodical search techniques. Sean also planned and oversaw the team's tactical operations. He is heavily involved in the department's in-service training for its sworn personnel, as well as the Regional Law Enforcement Academy. There, he instructs firearms, driving, building search, officer survival, rapid and immediate deployment, RAID, to the active killer, response to critical incidents, and a basic SWAT course. Sean has also instructed tactical gas deployment in basic SWAT schools, as well as dynamic movement post-explosive breach in advanced SWAT schools. When not at work, Sean spends time with his wife for 21 years and three children, preferably outdoors. We are now pleased to welcome Sean Jocelyn to the program. Hello, how are you doing this evening? I'm great. How are you? Doing pretty well. Thank you very much. First off, I'd like to throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally, who has a few questions for you to begin with. Perfect. So my first question, can you tell us a little bit more about the process of becoming an officer? Yeah, it kind of varies place to place and depending on where you're going to be. But generally speaking, and maybe it's better if I just speak on our process, but it starts with an application basically like anywhere else. But the difference being with law enforcement is our application, I think, is 16 or 17 pages long. It gets extremely in-depth. Um, after you complete that, you'll do a background or the, the department will do a background investigation on you to make sure everything within the application is accurate and correct. 
and then uh, you'll start some aura board style um, interview with personnel there in our recruiting unit of the sheriff's office and then once you start getting some more final offers for employment um, they'll do a physical fitness test and after that you're pretty much on your way and did you know that law enforcement was what you always wanted to do I wanted to do it for quite some time but the itch kind of came when I was in high school and uh, I worked at a, a large flea market out here in Colorado on my weekends and during the summertime and the guys that did security with the flea market itself were from a local sheriff's office and I liked how they interacted with each other the brotherhood and sisterhood that kind of came with their interactions um, and the more I got to know them and understand what good people they were they weren't just cops they were just normal good human beings um, I became more and more interested. So that's kind of where the sparks started. And do you have any more books in the works? Not officially, no. Um, I'm kind of in the note-taking phase of a book I want to write down the road just a little bit. And I, I by no means have any time frame um, for it. But I want to do a book on leadership. And having said that, there's leadership books are a diamond of this so that's why I'm taking my time. I want to do something that's a little bit outside the box and coming from a direction or an aspect that isn't common out there on the shelf. So I'm kind of in the note-taking phase, and uh, I have no time frame whatsoever. And my final question for you, what has been the hardest part about writing your book? I think for me it was the time commitment that came with it. Um, I had all the material, you know, just from 19 years there at the time I wrote it, 17 years of law enforcement. But when it came time to really organize it, get the logistics down, the chapters built, the note-taking phases done, and then the writing itself, um, it was very demanding from a time perspective. Um, mix that in with time constraints from publishers they have you know deadlines that they want us met and those types of things so you put those things together and um, it gets a little stressful at times um, as I was writing the mental aspect started messing with me too a little bit I realized that maybe over my career in law enforcement I didn't quite take care of myself as as good as I should have mentally so rehashing a lot of those stories that I wrote about um, brought back a lot of emotion from them so it kind of turned into a good thing for me and some kind of one-on-one -on -one therapy, if you will. And you tell us a little bit more about your book. Yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, I'm a cop, so I, I'm not going to get super in-depth with it. <laughs> I've got other stuff that, uh, that I'm a little bit better at. But it basically is kind of a memoirs or stories about my career in law enforcement, um, how I kind of started it, how I got into it, and then basically my whole goal in life was I wanted to be on the SWAT team. And then at some point during my career, I wanted to lead that SWAT team. So it kind of steps through my career on how I accomplished those things and then things that I encountered and dealt with along the way. And then the lessons I learned from all of those exposures, just being a better person and a better leader. And uh, shows such as Cops and Live PD are very popular. We talked about that a little bit in our emails back and forth. Have you ever been involved with them? And if so... How realistic are they and the portrayals we see on the small screen? I haven't personally been involved with any of them, no. Um, it's Boy, there's a lot of cop shows out there on the big screen and the small mm -hmm. screen. 
and they've really come a long way in a short amount of time. So it's pretty interesting. Um, I watch some of them just for my own entertainment values, but I think the ones that have come, I mean, cops has been around forever. They have thousands of episodes, so they've obviously done things right. Um, and they don't over edit things as much. I think that's what the public really likes about them. Cause it's kind of the raw footage of what you're seeing. They've upped that recently with these body cam type shows. And you're really getting to see what the men and women in law enforcement are doing right when they do it, what they're encountering, what they're seeing, what they're having to deal with. So it's pretty impressive how far those shows have come. Um, as far as the movies and the television shows themselves, um, they're, they're pretty close to entertainment value. And there's some similarities, but they're there to show you guys a good time, not really teach you about law enforcement. What would you hope people learn from reading your book? I think the biggest thing I want people to know is just that the the men and women out there doing this job in any first responder role, we're humans just like everybody else. We have good days. We have bad days. We have problems in life. We have very successful lives. And uh, we're doing a very difficult job, and we want people to support us rather than dislike us and uh, just kind of show the human side of us. And if my listeners are interested in purchasing Fighting Monsters Wildlife, where would they go to do so? The best place to go is just through Amazon. Um, it's available uh, basically all the time, and uh, they'll ship it right to your door. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show this evening, and we wish you lots of luck in the future. Hopefully hopefully you have other books in your, in your pipeline, and they do pretty well, too. Great. Thank you very much, both of you. Thank you. Have a nice evening. You, too. Once again, that was Sean Jocelyn, author of Fighting Monsters SWAT Life. We'd like to thank him very much again for joining us this evening. Stay tuned for our next episode on December 5th for another glimpse into the literary mind with our next author. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner? Maybe you're just a huge fan of the sport. Contact either Michael Lally or myself to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. Our next guest this evening is Natalie Decker. Natalie Decker and her number 54 Arthritis Foundation Toyota Tundra team brought home a 20th place finish in Friday night's Ford EcoBoost 200 at Homestead Miami Speedway. Decker kicked off a busy weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway starting on Thursday when she hosted over 40 guests from the Arthritis Foundation at the track. On Friday morning, Decker took the track for two practice sessions. The number 54 team ran a combined total of 50 laps in practice turning a fastest lap of 33.791 seconds. Shortly after practice was complete, rain set in at Homestead Miami Speedway, canceling qualifying. The starting lineup was set by owner's points per the rule book, giving Decker a 20th place starting position for Friday night's race. After a brief rain delay, the green flag waved and Decker went to work. The opening 30 laps clicked by without incident. At the end of stage one, Decker was in the 22nd position, Decker reported to crew chief Frank Kerr that her truck felt pretty good. It was just a little free on entry. After four tires, fuel, and a slight adjustment, Decker was set for stage two. Decker took the ring lap on lap 35 in the 20th position for the beginning of the second stage. On lap 49, the second caution of the day wave for possible fluid on the track. With less than 10 laps remaining in the stage, Kerr made the, tr- made the call to keep Decker on track. After a six-lap shoot-up to end stage two, Decker was in the 19th position. After a quick stop for four tires, fuel, and a slight air pressure adjustment, 
Decker was ready to tackle the final stage. The race resumed, and Decker settled in around the 20th position. On lap 101, Kerr called for his driver to the pits for the final stop of the evening. After a 30-lap run to the finish, Decker was able to pilot her number 54 with Rice Foundation Tundra across the finish line in the 20th position. We've got a standby for Natalie Decker to call into the show. So let's go ahead and listen to 99 Speedway.
Hi, this is John Hunter Nemechek from Nimco Motorsports, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Once again, that was 99 Speedway by Ron Fasana and the pit crew. We're now going to contact Natalie Decker via phone, so stand by for a few seconds here. Hey Hello? Natalie, this is Adam Sinclair, and this is Adam Sinclair, and you're live on Thursday Night Thunder. How are you doing? Hi, good. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for coming on the show this evening. Yeah, thank you for having me. First off, we want to ask, how did you first get your start in auto racing? I got my start in mo- the motorsports industry because um, my dad, he grew up racing snowmobiles and dirt cars and bikes. He raced everything and he um, owned a snowmobile racetrack in Eagle River, Wisconsin. He just recently sold it about a year ago. But my whole life growing up, I grew up at that racetrack helping him, you know, seeing the races get put on. I even tried snowmobile racing for a little bit. But So I grew up around that and he was always a fan of NASCAR. So we were always watching it on TV together. And I I wasn't, I didn't really like driving and racing the sleds. I more enjoyed watching it. So once I found out what go-karts were and that I could race stock cars, I really wanted to do that. And that was a big goal of mine ever since I was about seven years old. And can you tell us a little bit more about your work you've done with the Arthritis Foundation this season? Yes. Yeah, so um, I was born with uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And we um, got in contact this year with the Arthritis Foundation. For years, I've been wanting to do something with them, but I was just really nervous about, you know, telling everyone my story. And once I finally got the courage to do that, um, we contacted the Arthritis Foundation, and we just wanted to do a really cool fundraiser to help them raise money um, to help send kids to camp where all kids who um, – have been diagnosed with arthritis, juvenile arthritis, get to go to camp together and do fun activities and, you know, just meet each other and get to talk to each other, you know, what they've all gone through because they, you know, all live with the same thing. And it just really inspired me to really want to help raise money and um, do fun things like that. It was really cool. We got to um, do this really cool fundraiser where – you could donate, and you could get your name on the hood of the truck, a die-cast truck of the Arthritis Foundation truck that I raced in Homestead, and there were special shirts. And then at the end of the race, we auctioned off the hood, the helmet, the race suit, everything I wore, and it was really cool that I got to do that, and it was really fun, and I really enjoyed it. I got to meet a bunch of fun and amazing people from the Arthritis Foundation, and I'll definitely be doing more for them. It was a really cool experience. Awesome. So I think it was pretty cool. I know over the past few years you've been doing a bunch of different different racing in a few different series. Of all the races you've been in so far, which one was your favorite and why? Oh, which one was my favorite? 
Well, I really enjoyed go-kart racing because it was kids. We were all the same age, and we all camped with our families and traveled from, like, state to state. And, like, we would skateboard and scooter all night and then race against each other during the day. And that, and I traveled with a family. My cousins also raced, and so did my brother, and we all traveled together. So that really made me, like, fall in love with racing because of what I did when I was younger with my family and it was just all about family and all about having so much fun at the racetrack and that made me fall in love with racing but every year even when there's been hard times I've loved every um, series I've been in truly I don't think there's one that I really didn't like I remember my dad actually bought me a dirt car and it was not a good dirt car (laughs) maybe that was Mm -hmm. my least favorite race um but other than that, I really enjoyed every step I've taken so far to get to where I'm at. And building off that a little bit, what are your plans for 2020? I know that there's not much information on your website talking about that yet, so I was curious what your what your racing plans are for next season. So we still haven't fully um, made plans yet, but there's a lot of discussion going on, and you know I haven't committed to any certain team yet, that's for sure, mm-hmm. but um, I do want to race in the truck series and that is my goal and that is my personal plan but of how many races and with what team is still undecided and hopefully soon um, we'll have that all figured out and I can tell everyone and let everybody know. Growing up who was your racing idol? I had so many different racing idols especially because I grew up in a family that everyone raced. My grandma raced, my grandpa raced, all my uncles raced, my dad raced, my, my aunt Sue, she was um, married to one of my uncles. She also raced. So, so my whole family raced, and I really looked up to just my whole family for that. Um, but I remember when I was really young, sitting on the couch, watching an NASCAR race with my dad, and I asked who Mark Martin was. And he told me this really cool story where he wanted to get into car racing And someone mentioned Mark Martin, you know, sells his car at the end of the year every year. And you should buy one of his. He's got great stuff. So he went down and drove all the way to meet with Mark Martin and buy his car. And they were, like, the same height and same size. And he didn't have to change anything in the car. And it was just a really cool story. And I couldn't believe my dad knew someone that was on TV racing and had one of their cars at one point. And so I really looked up to him even before I started racing. And then I also really looked up to Danica Patrick. Her dad raced against my dad um, in snowmobiles, and our families go way back. So she's always been, you know, someone I've looked up to as well. Well, I'd like to throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally, and I have a few questions for you in a a few minutes, but I'll throw you out to her right now. Okay. So you participated in the Drive for Diversity program. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so it was a program we found out about a little later in our racing career, myself and my two cousins, and it was really cool. Once we found out about it, we really wanted to go and try out for it. So you go and you try out, and it was in Virginia, and you test all day and do these workouts and all these other little activities, and you get, like, graded, and then they decide, you know, who they want to be a part of their program. So the first year we all tried out, my cousin Paige, she made it, and she got to come down and live in North Carolina and race for the program for a year. And then the second year, I got to go through the program. And it was just so cool to have both of us be able to go through that program and just be living down in North Carolina. And 
going to all these different events that NASCAR puts on and just being able to meet all these people and get all these contacts that we weren't able to do by ourselves or living in Wisconsin racing short tracks. So to be able to come down and be a part of a program like that that helps get more diverse people into NASCAR, it was a really cool experience. And I definitely learned a lot because I was really young. I'm, I'm still really young, but I was 17 living down here, still going to high school and still trying to, you know, make my dream and my career come true. So it was a really cool experience. And if you weren't racing, what do you think you'd have a career in? That's a good question. I definitely would love to be a pilot, um, but like a fighter pilot. That's always been a dream of mine. I look up to those guys so much and and girls, and they're just amazing. And I just think it's so cool what they do for our country and everyone in the military. So if I got to do something like that, that would definitely be top of my list if I wasn't a race car driver. So you obviously have a lot of racing experience. Can you tell us your most interesting racing moment? Ooh, my most interesting racing moment. Um, my, one of my first wins, I remember I was on the pole, inside pole at my home track, and um, someone who was pitted next to us who we were really good friends with just from being racing at that track all the time was on the outside of me outside pole. And we were side by side for tw- the, the feature, like the main race was only in like 20 laps. And we were side by side the whole race until two laps to go. I got the lead and won it. And he was like so mad at me, <laughs> but it was really cool. It was one of my first wins in that series. And that will, I'll never forget that. And then another, Another really fun race, um, I was racing against Johnny Sauter, and it was a double feature. In the first feature, I won, and then the second feature, he won it, and that that's like will forever be a cool memory of mine, forever and ever. So my final question for you, what advice would you give to someone looking to become more involved in the sport? I would tell them that you definitely just have to go for it and believe in yourself. And if you want to be a driver or an engineer or anyone that works in the shop or just be involved in the motorsports industry, you just have to get involved right away and as soon as possible because the more people you meet and the more you get out there, the more opportunities you will have. But definitely if you want to, you know, make it as a driver – the best advice I could give someone because I'm still trying to make it and I'm still young, but the best advice I would give is have a good support system. I, I have a great support system. I have my parents and my aunt and my sponsors and my boyfriend and my grandparents, everyone all the time supports me no matter what and has my back through everything. And it's just, that's what has helped me get to where I am today. A hundred percent. And if our listeners were interested in learning more information about you and your career, where would they go for that information? Definitely my website, nataliedeckerinc.com. There's so much information on there about the fundraiser and about um, the apparel I sell and how you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, um, my YouTube channel. 
So just my website is definitely an easy way to find everything out. And hopefully soon you'll see on my website who I'll be racing for and how many truck races I'll hopefully be doing. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on tonight, and we wish you lots of luck next season and beyond. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Have a great evening. You too. Once again, that was Natalie Decker. It was pretty cool for us to have her on the show this evening. We're trying to get her on the program for a little while now. So hopefully she has a uh, she has an amazing career ahead of her. I know she's had some, some great races, some not so great, but she's had some, some marquee races over the past couple of years when she raced in the Arca Series as well as her recent work in the in the Truck Series. So hopefully it all works out. Switching gears to the National Hot Rod Association now, Steve Torrance, Robert Height, Greg Coughlin, and Andrew Hines were crowned NHRA Mellow Yellow World Champions in their respective classes during Monday night's award ceremony at the Ray Dolby Ballroom at Hollywood and Highland. All four drivers were awarded checks and trophies to celebrate season-long achievements that culminated in winning 2019 NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Racing Series World Championship titles during the NHRA Mellow Yellow Countdown the championship NHRA's playoffs. Torrance captured his second consecutive top fuel world championship title after a thrilling weekend at the Auto Club NHRA Finals, taking home the title following the third round of eliminations at the Auto Club NHRA Finals. En route to the championship, Torrance raced to nine wins during the season, eight of which came during a nine-race streak. In the fight car class, Height raced to his third world championship title. Height clinched the championship in dramatic fashion during the final round of the Auto Club NHRA Finals at Pomona after a thrilling half-track burnout. Height raced to a career-best six victories during the 2019 season, holding the points lead for 23 of 24 races on the NHRA Middle Yellow Drag Racing Series calendar. Clinching her third world championship, Eric Anders took home the 2019 Pro Stock Championship title following an intense on-track battle with Chris McGehey in the second round of the Auto Club NHRA Finals. Anders becomes the third female in NHRA history to secure three championship titles, joining the likes of Shirley Muldowney and Angel Sampei. Pro Stock motorcycle rider Heinz captured the sixth world championship title of his career after a long day at the Auto Club NHRA Finals. The winningest rider in class history dominated the season with a career-best eight wins, giving him 56 total career victories and 10 final round appearances during the 2019 season. Top Fuel rookie Austin Proc took home the Automobile Club of Southern California Road to the Future Award, along with a $20,000 prize check. The award recognizes one of the top performing rookies during the season. Proc competed in all 24 events on the 2019 NHRA Mellow Yellow Calendar, taking home his first win by defeating 2018 top fuel champion Steve Torrance. Proc claimed his first career win at the Magic Dry Organic Absorbent NHRA Northwest Nationals in Seattle. He also raced to five semifinal appearances and qualified a career-high third position at the Heartland Nationals and Midwest Nationals. Other candidates up for the award were Christian Quadra, Quadra Pro Stock, Fernando Quadra Jr. Pro Stock, Cameron Ferre, Top Fuel, Lex June, Top Fuel, Gianna Salinas, Pro Stock Motorcycle, and Jordan Vandergriff, Top Fuel. Chevrolet was honored during the event as the 2019 Manufacturer's Cup winner. The season-long battle was captured due to the success of 16-time Fine Car Champion John Force and teammate Robert Height. The Pro Stock class was represented by two-time World Champion Eric Anders, Jed Coffin Jr., 
Jason Line, Greg Anderson, Bo Butner, Derek Kramer, Chris McGahey, Alex Laughlin, Matt Hartford, Kenny Delco, Fernando Quadra, Val Smeeland, Steve Graham, Molly Strope, Joey Kroos, Sean Gray, Shane Gray, Shane Tucker, Roger Brogdon, and Fernando Quadra Jr. This marks the 24th time Chevrolet has won the award and the third consecutive year for the manufacturer. The NHRA Lifetime Achievement Award was presented by the legendary crew chief Austin Coyle. For 24 years, Coyle served as the crew chief to John Force, helping to bring home 15 championship titles and 132 event wins, making the duo the winningest driver-crew chief combination in NHRA history. Drivers from 10 categories in the NHRA Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series were also recognized as 2019 World Champions. Megan Meyer, top alcohol dragster, Sean Bellamore, top alcohol funny car, Frank Aragona Jr., competition eliminator, Vic Penrod, super stock, Allison Dahl, stock, Ray Miller III, super comp, Jeremy Mason, super gas, Danny Nelson, top dragster, Sandy Wilkins, top sportsman, and Drew Skillsman, SAM factory stock. The 2019 NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Racing Series Awards Ceremony will be available to view for fans worldwide on the Internet starting Wednesday, November 20th at NHRA.com and the NHRA YouTube channel. We're running a few minutes ahead, so let's go ahead and take another short break here and listen to a selection from Ron Pastana and the pit crew. This is In the Zone.
Hi, this is Jason Alder from AB Motorsports, and you're listening to the Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Once again, that was In the Zone from Ron Tassan and the Pit Crew. You can find them by looking up information online, searching for Ron Tassan and the Pit Crew. I know they've got a lot of stuff available on there, and we'd like to thank them once again for allowing them to use allowing us to use their music on the program. Our next guest is the head of Pacific Raceways. We're going to stand by for one second while I get the information. Our final guest tonight is Jason Fiorito, president of Pacific Raceways and Pacific Innovation Center. Jason has been president of Pacific Raceways for 17 years and president of Pacific Innovation Center for six years. He is responsible for financing, strategic planning, governmental relations, master planning, and developing track and innovation center relationships and partners. Jason was instrumental in working with local government to secure legislation that allows for the development and improvements that are planned for Pacific Raceways, including the Pacific Innovation Center, a tech campus designed to accelerate innovation in automotive technology. He is third generation of his family to have involvement with the Kent facility. Prior to becoming a Raceway and Innovation Center president, Jason worked with the family's heavy highway constructed business in quarrying, mining, and commercial development. Jason majored in political science at the University of Washington and the University of Colorado. We are now pleased to welcome Jason Fiorito to the program. Hello, how are you doing this evening? Hello. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing pretty well. Thank you. First off, I'd like to throw you out to my, my co-host, Michael Mullally, who's out there in your neck of the woods, who has a few questions for you, and then I'll have a few follow-ups afterwards. Absolutely. Thank you. So my first question, since the interview with you at the 32nd NHRA Nationals last summer, what renovations have began at Pacific Raceway? We have begun the site work for the first 200,000 square feet of buildings. We uh, started the dirt work a couple of months ago and uh, are progressing nicely. We're at grade at the southernmost end of the property, so we should be uh, beginning the utility work here in the next couple of months. And what goes into preparing for a big race weekend such as the Northwest Nationals? Oh, my goodness. Uh, We actually started preparing for next year the day after uh, we ushered the 30,000 spectators that were in attendance on Sunday. Uh, You know, it's a huge team effort. We start meeting uh, in terms of, debriefing with the NHRA the week after the event uh, and then clearing out all the rental equipment, uh, lining up for next year. We're already involved in ticket sales, motorhome sales, uh, lining up with the NHRA to make sure everything's running smoothly. But it really takes all year, starting with almost the day after the last event. And, have you ever driven a race car yourself? 
I uh, race uh, the GT1 class in the SCCA Majors Tour and Conference, so I pilot uh, a 600-horsepower GT1 stock car, actually just have a brand-new chassis uh, built by Fury Race Cars out of North Carolina. So uh, I've driven a, a super comp dragster on the drag strip. Uh, the Drazayich family let me take a couple hits in that, but mostly I road race in a late model. Oh, wow. And Pacific Raceways holds a lot of events. Which are your favorites and why? Well, I, I think probably my favorite personally is uh, – the conference races and the SCCA and Sovereign because I get to participate and uh, any race that we host that I get to experience from the, from the driver's seat is probably my favorite selfishly, but uh, clearly, you know, the, the mellow yellow uh, series championship races that we host uh, first weekend in August every year. Uh, and then the 4th of July historics because, uh, you know, the history of the track and the equipment that shows up, uh, you know, all the way down to our weekly drag racing series. But, but you know, if you're going to ask me honestly, the ones in which I participate. Mm-hmm. How many races do you actually participate in per year yourself? Well, it, it varies. I'm, I'm a <laughs> – I have three kids that are uh, now 14, 15, and 16. They've kind of grown up at the track, but I'll race anywhere in between, uh, you know, seven races uh, at the outer edge and and three races uh, on kind of a skinny season. Uh, Skinny seasons, I'll participate mostly at at Pacific Raceways, but I've traveled as far as uh, Indy Motorsports Complex down in Wilcox, Arizona, and try to hit Thunder Hill and Portland as often as I can. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Pacific Innovation Center? Absolutely. Uh, You know, the ideology was born uh, almost 10 years ago now. I I was down at a renewable energy-driven conference in Reno, and there was a, a gentleman that was retrofitting pack car chassis with uh, hydrogen fuel cell powered uh, electric driven over the road trucks. And the hydrogen fuel cells charged the batteries, which ran the electric motors, and they were having system integration problems. And he was interested in the potential commercial space at Pacific Raceways because he thought if he could develop his prototypes adjacent to a testing surface, then that would be really attractive space. And it kind of snowballed from there. Uh, it was it was almost like kind of a light went off over my head and thinking, wow, out of the box, how do we create demand for commercial space at a track? And then we approached uh, state research facilities, including the University of Washington, Washington State University, Central Washington University, and even uh, Western up in Bellingham, and then worked with the Department of Commerce to kind of build this synergy between the fact that we have a testing facility, kind of a blank canvas in terms of who our tenants could be, and the need of the Department of Commerce to attract innovation businesses from not only uh, Washington State, but uh, nationwide and even internationally. 
to kind of coalesce the renewable energy-driven vehicle industry around our test track. We've, we have so many constituents in the Pacific Northwest, including the concentration of software engineers that it takes to drive this new industry, that we really kind of have all the ingredients of being the hub of innovation in the automotive industry for the country, really. And locating that at a testing facility, i.e. the racetrack, uh, creates some, some benefits in terms of efficiencies. And, and if we get all those disciplines coalesced around this track, it's, uh, it's really going to be something that the state and the region can be proud of. I know one of the big things in the, in the redevelopment of racetracks recently has been increased fan involvement, increased places for the fans to – things for the fans to do, things for the uh, – places for the fans to go, places for the fans to interact with the drivers and that sort of thing. What sort of uh, fan renovations you're incorporating into the Pacific Raceways? Well, it's, you know, it's all driven by economics, right? Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's been tough for us over the years because uh, rising insurance costs, rising labor costs, rising costs, uh, it, you know, and this is all discretionary income for folks. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been tough to, really improve the facility as much as my family would have liked to over the years based on just the income from the racing surfaces. So as we incorporate, uh, you know, especially this first 200,000 square feet of buildings and the earthwork that's actually paying us, because aside from a lot of other commercial developments, we actually excavate really nice gravel, kind of leveraging my history in the gravel extraction and sales uh, marketing industry to make money while we're developing the site. So uh, over the next few years, the fans are going to see some pretty aggressive upgrades in terms of just really nicer amenities, right? Instead of the portable bathrooms, uh, really nice permanent structures, but then the interactive stuff that you're talking about, you know, we have a world-class karting facility at, uh, at the track through Pacific Grand Prix. And then we're talking about uh, clubhouse style environments where they're driving simulators and uh, folks can come in and have access to uh, areas that even if it's raining, you can, you know, drive the course. So uh, movie theaters, kind of family areas, better, uh, outdoor areas for kids we're really headed pretty aggressively over the next few years to providing way more amenities and way more interactive experiences for the fans i know michael mentioned that there's several different sorts of events that are held out there at the pacific raceways which one what would be the the best schedule what would be your dream schedule for the track any major events you have how many minor events that sort of thing Well, as we look into the future and look at uh, potential uh, reacquisition of professional sanctioning on the road course, you know, I'd love Mm -hmm. to see the NHRA Mellow Yellow series kind of augmented with uh, a vintage. We've been building with the vintage nitro guys uh, an event on the drag strip that we hope will continue to grow over time. So, Uh, with a divisional, a vintage nitro event, uh, the NHRA Nationals, and then add a couple or more professional road course series. We'd really like to see an IMSA event out there. I mean, my pipe dream would be an IndyCar race. Uh, And, 
kind of closed wheel sports car racing returning back to the Pacific Northwest. You know, historically, folks like Mario Andretti, Phil Hill, uh, kind of a who's who of the old road racing community. Uh, even Roger Penske got his first team win out at Pacific Raceways. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr. won an event, a Winston West event there back in the 80s. So we'd like to segue back into professional road racing, and we're chasing that FIA2 sanctioning level on the road course that will facilitate that. And I'd love to see a, a couple of closed-wheel sports car events and you know, hopefully a, a big-time IndyCar event is somewhere in the future as well. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you have a, a great plan for the future, and hopefully everything goes well for you. It sounds like it'll be a, a really amazing uh, track out there in the Pacific Northwest, and hopefully it's it's a great thing for the future. Oh, thank you very much. You know, I, I was talking to a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Bandemir and the Speedway in uh, – outside of Denver and he said well Jason you're going to be an overnight success 20 years in the making congratulations so uh, <laughs> it's taken a lot of stick to it in this uh, a lot of blood sweat and tears have gone into it but we, we feel like we've hit some critical mass now and it's, it's moving along pretty quickly so I appreciate it thank you thank you and thank you very much for coming on the program this evening and have a great night you as well appreciate it thank you very much once again, that was Jason Fiorito. Seems like he has some amazing ideas for the future of Pacific Raceways. And hopefully, if you're out there, and even if you're from somewhere else in the country, it sounds like it would be a great place to head to in the next couple of years. As we talked to Natalie Decker a little while ago, I wanted to let you know that I was out at the at the track for the Ford EcoBoost 200, thanks in part to the, the good people here at SpeedwayDigest.com who got myself and my father a ticket to go out to the race for the day. I hope, I wished that the weather would be better. Uh, we arrived there about about 1 p.m. is when we got there. The first on-track activity was scheduled for 2.30, so we figured we'd have enough time to wander around the track and, and see the uh, the merchandise booths, which we did. There's a lot of interesting stuff there. Nothing I, I couldn't leave the track without, but that happens. Uh, if you were a an incredibly huge Marshmallows fan and you wanted to support whoever you want to. Um, there were a lot of great deals there, a lot of $2 and $5 stuff for people who had been fired the previous day, um, namely people like uh, like Daniel Suarez, um, Cole Custer, whose car had changed, and a few other different people like that. Um, so that was, that was kind of cool to see that, but I'm not a huge fan of either one of those gentlemen, so I didn't pick up anything from their trailers. Um, we went, up to the, went out to the grandstand about 2.30 p.m., just before 2.30 uh, we're watching the beginning of Xfinity practice, and as any of you who are watching the, the program on television there last Friday realized, the weather decided that it was done. So at about 2.45 p.m., it started raining. It started raining a lot, and it kept raining. And it rained, and then it rained some more. The rain lasted until probably, I'd say, 6 o'clock p.m., and then it just served at Misty. And the the track dryers kept drying. Uh, the track dryers had bound the track pretty much since 2 p.m. Uh, and then it rained heavy again. And it kept raining, and it rained, it rained, it rained, it rained, it rained. And then they decided to do driver introductions about 7.30. So we got a good spot for that. Went down there with the poncho on, watched the driver introductions, got to see all the people fairly up close. 
Um, then we went back to the seats there, and it rained some more. And then it rained more, and then it stopped raining, and they actually get the track dry. The race was supposed to start at 8 p.m. As any of you who watched the race last week know, it didn't start until about 9.37 p.m., so an hour and a half late. Um, now, I had been to, at the track, as I said, since 1 p.m., so I wasn't totally motivated to stay for the entire thing anyway. Uh, my original plan was to stay till about the halfway point, which I was thinking would be between 9.30 and 10 p.m. Instead, it was a little after 11.15 when we left the track. Uh, the race got over probably about, what, 11.30, something like that. But we left 11 o'clock. We got to the car about 11.15. was out, beat all the traffic, most of the traffic. And so that's that. But it was a pretty good race. It was a, a, a very competitive race. It was very clean, which was great. There was only the one the one incident with the uh, the car who, who blew, or the truck that blew its engine on the on the track that caused the little oil down thing. But all in all, it was a really clean race. Um, it was great for for Austin Hill, who was definitely in the dominant truck for the entire evening. It was great to see him win. Uh, it was also cool to see the uh, the championship four. Um, so that was kind of neat. Um, not surprising that the how it ended up, and any of you watched the race know that it was a it was a really clean race. It was a great race, and it'll be good to see how it goes next season. The race will be returning to Homestead in March next year, which is interesting. This was the probably the final Ford Championship weekend ever, so that was kind of kind of weird. Um, the race will return to Homestead in March. They'll be there March 20th through the 22nd. I'm not sure if I'm going to want to go back there in March. There is. The 12 Hours of Sebring also takes part in that weekend, so that kind of splits the, the race fans here in Florida. Some of them will go north, some of them will go south, and I'm kind of stuck in the middle, and I'm not sure which way I'm going to go. Because either way, it's about, about 100 miles, either 100 miles north, 100 miles south, and I'm not sure which one I'm going to go to. What kind of thing am I going to Sebring? I've done that for years, but we'll see. Um, there is one more major motorsports event taking place here in South Florida in the next few weeks. That'll be the Citrus Nationals at Palm Beach International Raceway. That is an IHRA section event. Uh, there's going to be pro mods. There's going to be jet dragsters. We've talked to uh, to Larson Motorsports. Um, they've been on the program here a couple times. So they're going to be out there on Saturday for the race. We might end up heading out there. Maybe not. It really depends on the weather and on uh, often how we feel. Um, so that could be cool. So anybody's looking forward to, to look going into the uh, the Citrus Nationals, you can check that out at racepbir.com. There's a lot of details on there. I'm probably going to put out a little brief, uh, very brief preview piece about the event in the next few days. I might actually end up being early next week, but we'll go ahead and see how that goes too. So it should be a really, really good uh, Good event there at Palm Beach International. And the racing at Homestead was actually fairly decent as well, although the weather there on Friday was just bad. It was bad. But there are a lot of really hardcore motorsports fans who follow the NASCAR series. I'm not quite as hardcore as some of them, but I am hardcore enough to sit there from 2 o'clock in the afternoon until the race started a little after 9, mostly hanging out in the under the grandstands and that sort of thing. Again, I'd like to thank SpeedwayDigest.com for their... Uh, for getting the tickets for Mike. Um, I'd like to thank Stephen Wilson, who's the webmaster of SpeedwayDigest.com, as well as Tim Despain and his wife, Suzanne Despain, the uh, the host and producer 
of The Pit Stop with Tim Despain, which takes place here on Tuesdays on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Might want to check them out if you haven't already. And with that, be sure to check out past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder, as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at speedwaydigestradionetwork.com. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar. I also invite you to read the articles covering all aspects of motorsports at speedwaydigest.com. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at my fairly new site, where both one's fantastic finds. Once again, you can find information about the uh, the story time for grown-up series on there, as well as the other information about our slice of paradise here in South Florida. Head to forborplumsfantasticfinds.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again on December 5th in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>